What is up, investors? Now, on today's podcast, we're going to be doing another doctor coaching call like how we did a couple of weeks ago. But if you haven't checked out, I think it was Brian on that coaching call. Sometimes we change the names. <laughs> I think that goes for anybody who wants to do these free coaching calls where we go into your personal financial sheet. We'll send you the blank personal financial sheet to fill out so that it helps expedite things. And People have been getting a lot of feedback that people really like to look at people's personal financial sheet as a financial voyeurs is the term. If you guys are listening to this on the podcast form, go on the YouTube channel to find this podcast if you really want to follow along on the personal financial sheet and see all their numbers and a lot that we don't talk about. I had a lot of questions and feedback over my analogy that I had a couple of podcasts ago, I believe, and then go back to Brian's one for the full discussion. But this whole concept of you know, all right, we're investing in deals, we are playing these different tax strategies, or at least learning it, maybe doing getting some passive losses artificially that you don't have to recapture through the new tax pal fund. And you're doing a little bit infinite banking or our new accredited in our new accredited investor banking, which you guys will probably learn as we roll that out this year. Let me know if you want to try it out. But it's working. But all right, people are moving down this path. And I think everybody here pretty much they're not trust fund kids, they made their own money, and they're still working hard in their jobs or as 1099s or their small businesses. And what is the path forward and how do they keep working? Do they titrate down? Do they work? Do they spouse work? How do you implement rep status? And I introduced this Raptor, Toyota or Ford Raptor gas guzzler versus the Tesla model versus the in the middle hybrid uh, Prius model of kind of different paths to doing this. Of course, all this is personal finance. And what I really urge you guys to do is sign up for the club if you haven't. And even if you're scared, book that call with me. I won't rip your head off. I'm really nice when you get to know me. <laughs> we get on one-on-one. And you know, let's go through this and let's see which one of these paths really fits well for your family and or at least give you some what the options are. And let's try and compress time cycles for you because time is really the most important thing out there. But if I'm not going to go into what the heck this analogy was, but what I'm going to say is go back to the previous podcast that we did, Coaching Call with Brian. He was also a doctor. I go over this loosely. If not, shoot us an email. Maybe we'll do more. But certainly if you're on the YouTube channel, put a comment below with answer. This is this kind of is real quality of life questions and personal finance questions. And this is ultimately what I really like because this changes lives. So like going into a deal, doubling your money, whatever, that's cool. Tax savings. Yeah, that's amazing. When a lot of the doctors will save $150,000, $200,000 in their first year by doing some of this stuff. And, you know, of course, that's if you guys heard my kind of confession last week, sometimes when you have a lot of money, that may not mean too much. But you know, when your net worth is under a million, a couple million dollars, this is big life changing moments. And maybe can be the difference between you having a second child or third child or even kids at all, or even going down a different path in life, whatever you choose. But again, go check out that order podcast. If you have any questions, let me know. Or if we you haven't burned up your free intro call with me, I urge you guys to do, let's get you guys going or at least get you a different viewpoint in so you don't just screw around for the next 30, 40 years of your life, putting your money blindly into the stuff that they want you to do and enjoy the coaching call. 
This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey folks, we have another hardworking uh, professional who's going to be a volunteer to do a coaching call here. So Derek is a doctor, and if you guys like like you guys really like this. I don't know why. I think people get like financial voyeurism when they peer in on these things. But the truth is, not many. There's not too many different profiles, and if you've gone to the YouTube channel, you can look for the coaching call playlist or got an access to our members portal, which is free. You just got to sign up at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. We actually uh, align all the coaching calls based on network. So you can just find yourself and fit right in and find some of the past coaching calls, people of a lower net worth than you and some of the higher ones that you'll get to at some point. But uh, dig in here. Uh, Derek, thanks for doing this. Why don't you quickly go over a little backstory to get to people and get to know you a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Lane, for having me. I'm excited to do this coaching call. As far as my background, so typical working or professional kind of investment background. I met my wife in medical school. We were both physicians and busy with training and residency and all that. So we just went down the typical route of basically doing retirement accounts and funneling all our money into stocks and bonds. We thought we were pretty smart because we were doing mostly low fee index funds. So we weren't picking individual stocks. We were doing a lot of just basically Vanguard mutual funds. And we're doing that for basically 10 to 15 years because we had two children along the way. And then just recently, actually earlier this year, brother-in-law got me turned back onto real estate. So I went down a a really deep dive into the podcast world and bigger pockets on your podcast. And really just started to look into the syndication space and rental property space. And this year, we actually purchased two rental properties. So one that's for a long-term property, where we actually have some in-laws staying in it. So it's not like a typical rental property, I would say. And then a second was a short-term rental property that we got in the mountain area in North Carolina. So we did all that this year. And then now I'm at the space where I really want to start more looking at passive, truly passive, so syndication type deals, um, and maybe even starting to look into like infinite banking. So basically just trying to get more sophisticated away from just mutual funds, stocks and bonds, actually start getting some more investments into the real estate and, space. And then where are you guys at age-wise? You guys got kids? So I am 40. Unfortunately, the other complicating factor of my um, personal history is my spouse passed away suddenly like a few months ago which complicated the issue. So it's just me now as a single father with two kids who are six and nine. That has also led to this push very recently to really try to simplify my life and simplify my investment strategy. Obviously, I want it to be high yield and useful, but I I just really want simple. I started to hear that. If you've been listening to the Simple Passive Cashflow podcast since 2016, you have seen me well change my mind a few times. At one time, I thought buying a bunch of rentals was the way to financial freedom, so you could be that cool guy at the local real estate club with all the other misguided landlords. As I became an accredited investor, I discovered the three-step system that we use today. First, syndication deals where you don't invest with dishonest operators to get better returns than the 401k financial planner garbage. Second step, get passive losses to unlock the tax best practices that the wealthy employ. And last and least impactful, number three, infinite banking. If your net worth is not yet $1 million, check out my free turnkey rental remote e-course at simplepassacashflow.com slash turnkey. All right, speaking to accredited investor to accredited investor, my one, two, three system is very simple to implement, but it requires plugging into a community of purely passive accredited investors like ours. Join our investor club for more insider access. Go to simplepassacashflow.com slash club. 
Those who are looking to deploy more than $250,000 their first year or make over $300,000 in annual income or net worth over a couple million dollars should really look into our exclusive inner circle called the Family Office HANA Mastermind, FOOM for short. Learn more at simplepassivecashflow.com slash journey. I know it's something that all of us, as we're trying to get our stuff together, we never know what's going to happen. It could be you, it could be them. I was kind of thinking the other day, if it was me, what's the point if I've gone the simulation ends but that's not a good way of looking at it but yeah i mean let's let's definitely get you on the right path or at least tell you what i think and great but but right now you're still working right yep i work full-time w2 i know i've listened to a bunch of podcasts here's included where there's talk about like real estate status professional and all that i i'm not going to qualify for that and that's probably years out because the place i work at is actually a pretty cool place it's a fun startup and i'm definitely I think going to continue it at least for the next few years. So I don't really have any, that's not in the immediate future to shut off my W2, if that makes sense. So just a quick snapshot for people listening on the podcast. We also do this uh, via screen share on the YouTube channel. So if you guys want to flip through some of the personal financial sheets as we go through, I'll pop on over there later. The net worth about two and a half. But what I wanted to dig in, uh, so assets first. Right. You, you mentioned a lot of it is just traditional stocks, bonds, mutual funds, et cetera. So what I'm seeing is about 800 grand in that stock, bonds, mutual funds stuff. And then you've got a lot of equity in the, the rental and the, the primary residence that you guys live in. That equity might be wrong. I might have filled out the sheet wrong. So the equity is probably in the primary residence, I would say between three to 400, depending on what it's going to sell for in the market. Okay. And no, you, did, you did it right. You did it right. You have the, this is the, what it's worth now that the Delta is, this is the, the mortgage on it. So oh, I think you got it right. Yeah. Um, so three to 400, probably in my primary. And then the two rentals were just purchased within the last six to eight months of the equity. And that's definitely not quite as high. Although with the market, it's, it's probably somewhere between you know fifty to seventy five thousand for each of those. Okay, so we we'll, we'll circle back around on like we're gonna invest what money we're gonna use first in one mm-hmm. particular order, which is always a very common um, question that comes up. But let's figure out your velocity at this point. So, what is your kind of your adjusted gross income? What do you guess it's gonna be in this next year? So right now, my wage is 265000 per year, whatever that comes to after taxes. It used to be, with my spouse working as well, it was closer to half a million, but that's obviously going to Yeah. Be and then your expenses, right? You're not cheap having a couple of kids, but luckily you're not in the wonderful state of California, a little bit cheaper where you're at. Right. Yeah, North Carolina is not too bad, although the area I'm in is a little bit more expensive than the typical North Carolina, but it's definitely, yeah, I've lived in the Bay Area before too. It's not <laughs> like San Francisco, other California areas. Yeah. Did, did you move over to the Carolinas for work or? Kind of for family. So I was in the, I used to be in the military. So we were in California, then Colorado, which I actually really loved. But a lot of my wife's family is from the Northeast area. So we just wanted to get closer to them, but didn't want to go to an expensive New York or Massachusetts area. So that's how we ended up in North Carolina. Okay. So what would you say you guys monthly burn rate for expenses? You, you use it, utilizing daycare? Or? Yeah, there's after school. So our kids are in school, but we have to put them in after after school or aftercare. My wife has some car payments because she got a new car a couple of years ago. We have our mortgage, taxes, groceries, all that stuff. It's probably around 10000 give or take ten to 12000 depending on the months. I used to track the budget a lot more closely and then that kind of went away. 
last year. Yeah. So that's probably about it. And that's including like our, we would set aside money to go on nice vacations and stuff like that. We want that in. So probably 12,000 a month would be. Yeah. And I think this is 12,000 burn rate every month. And you so you net about 10. So you're mm-hmm. netting at least a hundred grand a year. Maybe if that'd be a couple of investments every year, as long as you, for you guys, as long as you can stay above 50, 75,000, I think you're good enough. You can let off the gas a little bit. Whereas some of the folks that are under a million, 1.5 million, they might want to tighten the belt a little bit. Going at a pretty decent clip here. It's just a matter of being smart to where put the putting the money. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's my next big step is just being smart with deploying all the capital I have for sure. Yeah. I'm not a big personal finance guy anymore, saving, clipping coupons, that type of nonsense. But you guys are doing pretty well. I've talked to some people in California where they make more than you, yet they're barely able to save thirty to $50,000. And I'm like, dude, what's going on? And it's typically private school for kids is what clips that up or extremely big house. But I think your house is pretty big for North Carolina. You got the salary to support it. And that's actually something I've already been in the process of looking at. I put an offer in on a townhouse that would be smaller to downsize. Like I'm already looking at a way to either do a cash out refi or just sell and downsize. So I'm actively yeah. looking to do that and pull the equity out of this house. Yeah, let's. so let's do this. Let's go over the deployment strategy first. And then mm-hmm. we can loop back around to like kind of life choices or transitions. Maybe I can just be a sounding board for you because... At this point, I know you're going at a certain rate and I know where you're going to be in the next four or five years. And most times, I think you folks and myself included at one time, you operate as in scarcity mode, right? We think we're not going to be able to get there. So we're pinching pennies. But if we make the right, right moves, and especially if you want to downsize, that gives you a lot more, um, pushes you further down on the financial independence road. So um, that said, let's talk about where, so let's look at this 800 grand in your retirement accounts. You got it broken down one of these sheets, IRA versus Roth, right? I think down yep. here. So let me see here. You've got the Roth stuff is about 150,000, 401k, 403bs. That's the majority at 550. And then you've got the IRA miscellaneous stuff at one at 90. So, so one thing I've looked at or I've reached out to a company, I think it's like EQRP or something, was like one of those uh, trying to tap into specifically that 403B that is my wife's. So now I'm, I was the beneficiary, now it's mine. So I'm still trying to look into if that's something. Yeah, I everybody's trying to sell you a bunch of stuff, huh? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here's my thing. Retirement accounts, you've heard me say I'm not a huge fan of like I think you're better off paying your taxes on it today while you're in a lower tax bracket today. Look, you're at 250, you're under the 340, right? And then especially if you believe taxes are going to be going up in the future, especially if you think your financial picture is going to be going up in the future, that argument were to put it into these self self-directed accounts or qualified retirement plans is what they're technically called not some marketing term or whatever. They're all the same thing. Solo 401ks. It, it, that works if you're investing in non-tax advantage things, right? like crypto stocks. But if you're investing in real estate, the damn thing should be tax-free anyway because you get the losses from the tax advantage asset. That's the key thing that people glaze over all the time. 
So I guess my first question is, are you going to be investing in real estate or do you want to be investing in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, crypto? So I'm still trying to figure out like what I ultimately want my asset allocation to be. I know that I want to like, currently I'm very heavily in stocks and bonds and I want to shift that and probably get anywhere from 40 to 50, maybe 60% of my total net worth in real estate, probably 20 to 30-ish and still stay in stocks yeah. and bonds, index funds. Okay. The crypto piece is the one that I'm still figuring out. I actually listen to one of your webinars that you did. I forget who the person was, where they were making the, the point that he thinks Bitcoin is going to be worth however many million per Bitcoin and all that. And I have some friends that are pushing Bitcoin hard as well. I've gotten a tiny bit into that space. It wasn't anywhere on the worksheet, but I think 10,000 crypto. So I'm like dabbling slowly in a little bit of Bitcoin and ETH. And I'm trying to determine, is that going to be like 1% of my net worth? Just so I have a tiny stake versus 5 to 10%. And I'm a little bit more aggressive in the crypto space. So I'm still doing a little bit of research on that. Yeah. Allocation. And that's what makes this hard, right? Because if we're, before we start to decide on self-directed IRA, solo 401k, or take it to cash, you got to figure out what that end asset allocation pie chart is going to look like. But you don't know what the hell that looks like at this point. Like, I, I, I have some ideas. I'll just shoot you what most people in our kind of mastermind group will do at your network. They might do like at most 5%, 10, 5% into crypto. Mm -hmm. The crazy ones will be doing 10%. But okay. as you can see, it's you're not going balls to the wall with this type of stuff. This ain't Wall Street bets type of stuff. So that sounds a little bit like more reasonable <laughs> to me. Yeah. I, and then most of them, they, they start off with that 15% alternative asset idea, which I think you're hitting down. Over time, I think that it creeps over to the majority. But I think most people, they're always going to have a quarter or a third of the traditional garbage, if you will. Personally, I don't have any of that stuff but I'm not normal. And I think it's prudent to have some of that stuff so that you're always in it, so you're learning. So the idea is you go to alternatives, get your net worth up to 5, 10 million, and then possibly come back to the, to the traditional space is right. the idea. But if you leave the, the traditional space, you'll never, you might as well stay on the alternatives because that's what you got you there in the first place. But let's just go with, you're going on the next several years, you transition to half alternatives, half I don't know, 40, 45% traditional stuff. So we'll leave half of this stuff alone in a way. And, and if you are you counting like syndications as alternative? Yeah, those are what I call alternatives. Yeah. So real estate is alternatives. Crazy. So Where did that, they, I might it? actually be more comfortable with 65% alternatives, 30% okay. Okay. traditional, 5% crypto. That seems like a reasonable starting. Yeah. And I think that's, again, that's, no, that's very typical the people on the family office group that are, have that kind of mindset but of course you got to get to your 50 50 first so let's have that to be an intermediate goal these next few years and then get uh -huh. to that once you get proof mm -hmm. of concept but that in mind of course i'm aggressively pushing you to you know move this stuff around what i would probably do in that case is let's see again eight hundred thousand of various pre-tax post-tax various ira 403b 401 Okay, stuff. First thing we always do is we don't touch the stuff first. We, you got liquidity, right? You have home equity first. Yeah, so I have home equity, and then there's a decent amount that I have in checking and savings, and then also I'll, I got a lump sum for 
the life insurance, a supplemental life insurance benefit. So what would you say like that liquidity would sum up to about like several hundred thousand? It's about 700. Although I like to keep some in reserve, like I'm one of those people that probably wants 75 to 100 and yeah, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So deployable capital right now, I would say comfortably between six to 650 that I could deploy pretty quickly. So there's two pat ideas I'll give you. Like first is what I'll do because I've already not works personally. And then there's the one that most people will do okay. that I see, which is obviously takes into account the whole, let's try this stuff out first before we go crazy with this stuff to make sure it's real. Right. Let's get proof of concept. Call me crazy. Like when I bought, started to do out-of-state turnkeys, I bought one property first. And then I bought mm-hmm. 11 very quickly. But I think it's prudent to get proof of concept. Although we've had people invest a million dollars in nine months by joining the family office group and building relationships with other peers and then quickly moving in, which makes me stressful for them. But now they're happy with ten, five figures of monthly passive cash flow now, two years later. Those are the two goalposts to think about. I mean, but let's I, just... I, would, I would say normally I'd be more on the cautious side. I think the one thing that makes me think I might be a little bit more aggressive about deploying the capital is just the the inflation that's already here and seems like it's not going to slow down. I don't want to just sit on this pile of cash for two or three years and have the purchasing power. Yeah. So let me, those are the two goalposts, right? So what I'm going to propose, just so we don't have too many things floating around out here, is just the the bare minimum conservative one of moving in slowly. So what I would do, so there's, shoot, there's three things going on here that I'm thinking in my head. First, we got to deploy the liquidity first, because that's the stuff that's not doing jack for you. Mm-hmm. Then what I want to do is I want to take, I want to leak money out of these retirement accounts slowly so that you're, right now your adjusted gross income is about 250. What I want to do is take, oh, shoot, you're Mary file single now. There is some sort of, I think I can technically still file married jointly for the next two years, I believe my CPA Okay. Yeah. And that was the same for you. That's part of the reason too. I'm thinking of selling the house. He said it was like 24 months after she passed. I think I can still get the full half a million free when I sell the house versus the. Okay. That's fair. That's good. So here's what I'm thinking. Say that that is the case, right? If you're making 250 and then you leak out the retirement fund slowly to take you up to this 340 number about, right? So mm-hmm. you're taking a hundred grand out every year for the next couple of years. If it's unlucky where you don't get that treatment, then I then you're already topping up at the higher tax bracket, right? So does that make sense? So you're going to have to walk this path down the road with your CPA. Okay. But the idea is we want to be leaking out our retirement funds as quickly as possible, but not to go over this red line here. That makes sense. You understand yes. the logic. Yeah, gotcha. And is there like what like a rank order of how you would leak those out between the retirement accounts? Yeah, yeah. Good, good question. But let me get back to that. So the one thing, the, the Roth IRAs are You've already paid the taxes on it, right. and you can take out the contributions tax-free penalty fee. So that's your, you could always be taking that out okay. in a way. 
but you have so much money liquidity wise that you don't have to touch this probably for the next several years. And like I said before, I'm still considering keeping a quarter to a third in stocks and bonds. I could. Yeah, I for you, and this is very personal for your situation because you have all this other liquidity and this. I would probably leave the Roths alone. Okay. You probably don't have to touch them. So to answer your question, your current one, your 401k with your current employer, you mm-hmm. probably can't touch that. So let's just leave it alone. The next one would probably be the 403b from the previous employer, your spouses, or this IRA. Probably do the 403bs because my logic is you have crappier options with your IRA. You have a bit more choices with it. Mm-hmm. And these are typically more of a pain in the ass to manipulate. So let's get it out now. So I would say, yeah, I would, you know, let's put a number here. First would be the, you know, this would be the first year because if you're going from 250,000 to two, try to do this year. If you can, there's a couple more weeks left. But and I still had my spouse's income for most of this year. And then they also paid out like some months for. Oh, okay. Okay. You're, so you're already the, the, the Yeah. The income for this year is going to be well over half a million. Okay. Um, so, but it's going to be married filed jointly. So next year is really when Got the salary it. is going to drop to that 265 for just me. Got it. So yeah, let's earmark that for 2022. Okay. And then we chip away at this 420, 23. 2024, And it's a thought that I'm just slowly drawing it out, stay below the next highest tax bracket, and then redeploying the money into like syndication deals. Yeah. 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 Of course, people will tell you, this is the best thing. You're going to have to pay the taxes on it at some point, and you're not getting the tax benefits today. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. And then the 401k would be probably, you could probably, I'm thinking you're probably going to quit your job before 2027. So Pro- uh, probably, probably. Yeah. The place I'm at, it's like a, a startup and just the trajectory of it. Like I think the interesting work will be done by then, hopefully. Yeah. Actually 2027 with IRA and then 2028 for this later. You'll probably come to a couple of Hawaii retreats by then. You'll probably maybe do a backdoor Roth at that point. A lot of this will change in the next three years. Anyway, okay. but that's let's get you going down the path first. And I would probably recommend against the only reason where it might make sense to do a qualified retirement plan is if that doomsday snare where you are limited to single joint or that 170 max then you might like again like for people listening the only reason that stuff makes sense in my own humble opinion i'm not a tax attorney but there's no right answer for this stuff as it is if two things apply number one you're already in tax bracket highest tax bracket which you are and number two you have a a boatload in your retirement accounts which hey do like i've seen people with more like a million million half in their retirement accounts you certainly have more than half a million, 600,000. So that kind of satisfies that. And the reason being is, it's, oh shoot, what do we do? Let's just kick the can down to hunting in football, right? In a way. Unfortunately, and the things you have to balance, and the reason why I'm not super keen on it is these damn things cost a lot of money. Yeah, I like your plan. I'm slowly drawing this out. 
as noted. And then you did mention like the backdoor rot. So that was something we had been doing the last couple of years with my spouse. I didn't do it this year, but is that something you typically recommend for? For most people, no, because they got to get their stuff together and get their cash flow bucket filled today. Then when you're already cash flowing $10,000, $20,000, then yeah, do your backdoor Roths after that. People do it all backwards, as you've seen. So you have that general idea. And it sounds like you have a pretty good understanding of leaking things out. If that would be the conservative way of doing it, if you wanted to be a lot more aggressive, you, you take it out two times as fast and you start to supplement with some some other more exotic tax strategies and stuff like that, like land conservation easements, that type of stuff. And then I, I think at that point, it probably makes more sense to join the family office group, talk to other doctors doing that type of stuff, see who the operators that they've been working with. And at that point, we're going to save you. 10 times as much as your initiation before a group like that. But again, that's not for everybody, right? Like, I think you have a pretty dang good, like conservative middle of the path strategy right here mm-hmm. that you could probably implement. But if you want it to be optimized, that's the way you go to. And then you can unlock all this money and get it deployed right away before the great recession happens. I do have a question about the um, infinite banking concept, which I know you've mentioned on some of your podcasts and like webinars and stuff. Is that something I should consider with starting one of those policies since I do have so much cash that I... Yeah. And that was the other thing I wanted to... So that's always... People always geek out on infinite banking. And then if people want to... I would always say, check out the free infinite banking e-course we have. You got to sign up uh, simplepassivecashflow.com slash club or... I think if you go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash banking, you can sign up directly for just that e-course. But it it would probably make sense in your position um, because you have so much that you have that 700,000 just sitting there. Right. And it sounds like you're on board to leaking out your retirement accounts mm-hmm. quickly. So here's how I would like mind model this thing out. Like 2022. I start to build these like, timeline deployment plans uh, and then model out how much liquidity you have. So right now you're starting with 700 of liquidity. And this, let's just say this line is like how much you're going to invest. How much money are you going to, you think you're going to invest in 2022? I guess it would depend on how comfortable I am <laughs> finding syndications and betting. Yeah. I, I'll say like most people, they'll do at least a hundred, 200,000. Mm-hmm. Again, I've seen people do a million in the first year. So those are the two ends of the kick the football. Yeah, Hopefully I think I'd be comfortable somewhere. between anywhere between two to three hundred, depending on whether that's two hundred thousand yeah. dollar deals or a few fifty thousand dollar deals. Okay, yeah, so he's probably a good number to put on that. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm doing here is just now I'm figuring out how much liquidity you're going to be left with. Mm-hmm. And let's just say you go with the same thing in 2023. You're going to have. 200 but you're also leaking out remember we're leaking out a hundred thousand right. each year right. from ira i think i got my all my roles messed up here but i see what you're doing now. you're gonna have 300 right yeah no you're gonna have okay so they do that you're gonna start off with four yeah if you have 700 and you invest that uh, you go down to 550 and then you pull out another 100 but you invest that you're basically going down by four by a hundred thousand each year or maybe yeah down 150 a year investing 250 and pulling out one so maybe this year you get really <laughs> aggressive you, know, you go crazy on this year you go 300 but you're still 
Yeah, but, I see what you're doing. This makes a lot of sense. Like then I get more comfort investing in these deals. You know what yeah. better deals are. This is why I like I like working with smart people. You guys catch on to this stuff. It's so frustrating. What what does that mean? Ah, bang my head against the wall. If I can't, I don't want a good communicator, but this is what I'm trying to do. So you're going to invest another 300 this year. I actually think you're, what we'll probably do is in these, these years, you might even 2X this investment. Yeah. Probably was going to happen. But you I, I, don't, I think you're probably right because I'm, I'm really starting to lean into learning more about this and I'm strongly considering like joining your mastermind group and really getting a strong network of like good syndicators and understanding yeah. the space so let, let, more comfortable let's just it. say let's just bump it up a little bit 350 mm-hmm. and i think that went to 350 let's just say you do get a little bit more aggressive like we're saying that was 350 450 i think that's how it is okay so you're gonna you're gonna basically burn through your cash liquidity in three or four years Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to model out how much cash liquidity you have and then how much. So it's two things. My ge- This is just real general rule for how much money should I put into my infinite banking every year for six to seven years. Mm-hmm. So my general rule is take one third of your annual debt. So for you, you guys are saving a hundred grand a year. So that's 300. 30,000 or 33 grand every year. But you have a big amount of liquidity, which we've modeled out and estimated on this line what it's going to be. What I want to do is estimate, I want to utilize this so that by the year, by the middle of the policy, you should be using this up as best as you can. So this is real, this is where I'm just shooting darts out there into the universe. Bit, but my gut tells me that I'd like you to put in at least hundred grand because that your liquidity is so high. So I would say on the low end, one hundred thirty grand every year. One hundred thirty grand every year. Okay. Yeah, but you want to know what I would do? Yeah. <laughs> so this is this all depends how you create the policies, how much commissions the agent wants to take, right? So you can crank down the commissions, but and what that does is cranks down the life insurance portion. The 10 to 20% is the best practice. If you don't want to gouge your clients with commissions, which most people do, it's like a 50-50 split. The other good benefit to doing that is you don't have to, you, you may sign up to do $100,000 a year, but only $10,000 is really what you have to put in that year. Right. So... That's the beauty of it. And I, that took me like three years to latch on because out here, we're all, you and me are good as citizens. We're like, if we save with a life insurance company, we're going to put in 200. Shoot, we have to put in that every single year for six years to our total of 600,000. But in reality, all we have to do is put in 60, maybe 100 grand. And shoot, we've hit that in the first year. Yeah, so, I have been in with somebody who does this and it was, I forget what the, once it's topped up to 130 or whatever, you're done. The policy is self-sustaining. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you hit that, if it was a 90-10 split with 10% of it being insurance premiums, once you hit that, you're good. You don't have to worry about the policy cannibalize. Or for the longest time, I thought, oh, you got to put in the whole thing. Not necessary. But if it was configured in a jacked up way where it was 50-50, 50% of it. So on the 600,000 
fully commit policy for six years, a hundred grand every year, you have to put in 300. That's a bigger nut you have to keep funding as opposed to 60. So So, the the more important number on these is basically what's the total amount I need to put in to get past the point where it can cannibalize itself, like where the fund is self-sustaining. And if I stop funding it, I'm I'm okay. The policy is still at least there. Right. Ideally, you want to create the biggest container size without losing said container. Got it. So for for you, you could probably, you have, I just add up this line here, or, and you're going to have it. I'm I'm just looking like on average, you're going to have maybe 50 at a time. Again, this is the low end, 130 every year. You know what? I would get just get a max 10, $10 million policy. So $10 million is a important number because at that, you go higher than that. You got to show a whole bunch of BS documentation okay. to get higher than that. And really, you don't really need more than $10 million because $10 million typically is a payment of 250 k for six or seven years. I would just, again, this is just what I would do, right? This is more of an aggressive way of doing it. I would just start off with the 250 k a year and then you fund that. Maybe you you backdate it if you're depending when your birth date is and you fund that first two years right away. Or worse, you know, probably what's going to happen, you go 250 and then you go 250 then you start to just fund the insurance premiums from there yeah. on up. But you've already hit your which your your minimum amount so it doesn't cannibalize in your first year. So you're good okay, there. Right. Yeah, that kind of answers the question that I had just jotted down to ask you, which was like, where am I going to park my money now? Because obviously you don't get anything on savings or CDs and I have to open a bunch of separate bank accounts. I'm not above the FDIC limit. So I kind of this option, if I can fund those, basically double fund and deploy some of that capital that fund's taken care of. And then if I put all that money in pretty quickly, then depending on how the policy is written, from my understanding, within anywhere from a month to six, I should be able to start borrowing a decent amount from that policy to put into syndication deals, correct? You can do it the next week, get yeah. the money back out next week. So yeah, this is like a good plan, then. this is this one's funny, right? Because it, it, it operates like a HELOC account, but it's still like people, even in the mastermind group, they're, oh, I got to pay interest payments to myself. I don't want to owe, that stresses me out. That's $400 a month. No, that's just a mindset thing. You've got to get over that. It's just what, what the way you're supposed to use this thing. If you put in 250 and now your cash value goes down to 200 and then, you know, you put in the next 250 the next year, maybe it's worth four, I don't know, 450. Let's just call it that the next year. You, what you want to do is you want to take out that 450 and put that into deals or crypto whatever i'm assuming you guys Basically. have good, good contacts for these infinite banking yeah yeah just yeah go through the e-course and then i would say just it's a couple hours for do that e-course but it should get you set up and then yeah we can refer you out from there once you're kind of studied up but yeah. they're commodities right they're all with the big major companies that's really what you want but the question yeah. is where are you going to put the money and that's really up to you you can put it into deals some what some people do is they I think a mistake that I see, especially for somebody in your case, is like they want to leave their dry powder in here and only take out you know, half. Like, that, dude, that's not what this is for. You got to take it all out. Unless you're a business owner that needs a lot of dry capital for yourself, 20, 50 grand in checking. 50 grand's way more than you need, but 20 grand just to float your monthly expenses every quarter. And then maybe 50 grand, you know, 
to leave it in here, but so you deploy 400 in this case. Mm-hmm. Like, that's really the way you want to play this. And then if you want to do 300 of that 400 in deals and then 100 in crypto, that's how you do it. Okay. I didn't even I hadn't even looked at infinite banking for crypto. I was just looking at it for syndication, so that's good to know. You can use the money to go to Disneyland if you wanted to. Obviously, you're not going to do that. People who listen to this podcast don't do that stuff. And or you could use this as a way better than five twenty nine plan. Yeah, hell of a lot better. I don't know why anybody does a five twenty nine plan. Oh, I even forgot to put that down. We do have five twenty nine plans for our kids, but we shut them off. I think six months ago after listening to your podcast and other ones like those have been shut off. Yeah, they each have ten thousand in it. I'll probably just okay. Leave. Yeah, just shut them off because just I would just withdraw it just for simplistic reasons. Today I was trying to get rid of my health savings account because I got like fifteen grand in there, but it's like what a pain in the butt to have this thing, and I got to pay them three hundred bucks every year. Like mm-hmm. really, that two percent adds up all the time. Yeah, three hundred grand on fourteen. Do you have any thoughts about the like the lump sum? what are they called mech plans or like for infinite banking, like the, the life insurance policy where you can do the lump sum instead. I spoke to somebody the other day and they were like, Oh, some of the drawbacks are that I think it was if the distributions were not taxable, I believe versus in the other one, they are, there were some differences with it, but I, I had never even heard of the lump sum thing until I spoke to somebody. I don't know if that's something. Yeah. You're, you're going to have to talk to our experts on that one. I, that just, there's all these kinds of other like variable life that's like they missed the point they're like well, don't you want higher returns like no we want like liquidity so i can go invest in better stuff i don't need six seven percent once your net worth goes over five ten million then you may come back to that type of stuff that's i think when it makes more sense but there's a lot of sh- shady stuff especially in like the iul people's trans the commissions on that are extremely high there's a lot of aggressive sales people running around doing nonsense for that there's some kind of companies actually like really aggressive on teaching the agents they have this like farm school where they teach people because it's such like a obscure product with high commissions that mm-hmm. it makes sense to just train trainers or just make real estate agent armies you know head out there <laughs> one in a hundred will actually sell a policy but it's pretty good commissions for them at the end of the day but basic IPC, this is what it's for. Once you go over 10 million, I think that's a little overkill. But especially because you want to get this money working at four or 5% tax free. And then right. another thing to think about is because you're the only one for your kids now, I mean, it's, it would probably be prudent, a single point of failure at this point. Yeah, that's true. That is another good benefit of opening up one of these. Yeah. Um, and that's it. You guys, have, you have a trust build and all that stuff. Dating. Yeah, I'm in the process. Of, I got to read it. We were in the process of getting it set up. And then my wife passed away before all the stuff was notarized and finished. So it's a little bit of a mess. So I'm yeah, yeah. trying to get that all was... that sorted. And then I was obviously not <laughs> in the right state of mind for quite a bit. So I'm, I'm finally getting my brain back from brain fog. And I'm going to start cleaning that up. Yeah. yeah. I think that'd be good to talk to other people too. I mean, the questions are like, well, who watches your kids? I'm not giving any advice on that. And this type of, you know, you I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 I don't know. I wouldn't even trust myself with my own kids. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, it's, these questions come up and it's hard to find other people who are doing the same thing. Yeah. You technically just listen to your attorney, but I don't know if that's super prudent. I mean, other viewpoints too, but getting back to the numbers here, if you, 
do that large of a policy, once you fund it up to, if you have that 500, 300,000, you're going to fund it halfway. That's well past the point that it's going to collapse on you, black hole on you. So you're good. And what's probably going to be happening around year three, year four is these deals are going to start to refinance early, full cycle at that point. And I think mm-hmm. that's the point where it's a kind of a make it or break it. If you don't fund the policies anymore, then cool, that's fine. But I think what's probably going to happen is you get that windfalls and you're like, oh, yeah, let me just fund the policies the remaining of the three years. And now you're set up. I like it. That makes sense. Cool. Yeah. But bare minimum, 130. And I think what most people do is like they they get a small policy. Like when I first started to do this, I did a $50,000 policy every year for six, seven years. And then it was just cool to use it and be like, oh, this is like a HELOC. Oh, mm-hmm. what is that thing on my portal? It's saying I owe $5,000. Oh, that's just the interest. Eh, I don't care about that because my cool friends actually know about money. Don't freak out about it. And then you add a zero on top of the end of it once you get the hang of it right. in a few months. So you, you withdraw money, you pay it back. And then some people in the family office group are doing this. Like Instead of getting the loan from like Emeritas, Penn Mutual, Guardian, they go to a third-party bank. Instead of paying 5%, they pay 3%. If you're doing a larger policy like how you are, something like that adds up. 1% on 600 grand mm-hmm. adds up. But yeah, yeah, that's the IBC thing for you. And I think if you want to play it more conservative and only go into a few deals at the minimum on the investing side, I'll play it more aggressive on this stuff. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah and I think as far as the, the investment side, like I'm... I'm willing to ramp it up once I feel more confident in how I can vet sponsors yeah. and deals and have a good network of people who have invested in the past. And-, and then also, like we said, you could really ratchet this up by getting more aggressive on the withdrawals from your IRAs, right? Mitigate the higher income by conservation easements or something like that. If it's still around, if you're willing to be careful and work with the right people on that, of course, it's on the list of transactions. People are freaked out. Oh my God, I Googled it. And this is naughty. I'm supposed to do it. Uh, I don't personally do it because I've gotten to the point where I don't have active income. It's all passive. And that's where you're going to get to at some point. But how can we bridge you to that promised land in five to six years when most of your stuff is passive so it can offset with passive losses? Okay. We got a plan on the IRAs a little bit. Your situ- this is a good call. Your situation is confusing. And there's a bunch of things moving around. Talked about IBC. Let's talk about like lifestyle changes because that may increase your if you sell that you're going to stay in that house you guys live in now or downsize or the, the plan is to try to sell I, i'm a little bit constrained in that a lot of our family is close by and they're the ones helping a lot with the kids now and they're in a good school system and so like i can't just pack up and go wherever so I'm a little bit constrained in the market where i live is quite hot which is a double-edged sword and that i think my house would go pretty quickly for a good amount without having to do a lot of work to get it ready, but then I have to find something to replace it with. But yeah, the ultimate goal is like, our house is a decent size, a lot of land and just way more work than I need. And it's too big for just one adult and two kids. So that's definitely something that I wanna do is downsize, get some equity out. And that would also have the function of reducing my payments, monthly mortgage payments anyway. Yeah, I I would just say from, uh, you don't need to downsize. Like some people I'm like, under half a million dollars net worth. I'm like, dude, this is stuff you need to do. You're already behind in the game, right? You're already in your 40s and 50s. 
you have to do this stuff. But for you, you can keep living there. That's cool. Again, they say you never want to listen to they, whoever the heck they are, but they say don't do anything like drastic for the first year or whatever. But I will say that, you know, speaking from the experience of some of the other folks who've downsized, they've gotten away from living in the big house and they've gone to more of the luxury condo where now they enjoy it because now they're hanging with their kids. They got the pool. They don't clean. Mm -hmm. It's just simpler living, less headaches, nothing breaks. So if you're going to the more simplistic life, that'd probably be the way of doing. That's not a bad way of doing things. Actually, personally, I think I might like the condo life a little bit better, less nonsense. Don't have to clean my own pool. You know, that's how I'm looking at it. A condo or townhouse where there's community pool and they take care of all like yard maintenance. And it's just, and again, just getting back to the simplifying things, like it's become clear, like I, I don't need a lot of stuff. I just want time with my kids and the possessions that I have, enjoy and travel and yeah. do fun stuff. So, you, in that primary residence you have now, you got what about half a million of equity in that thing? So it will depend. So we got it was a 0% down because we had a physician's loan, which was nice. But the, and we only bought it just under six years ago, but the market's gone up so much that I've talked to a couple different agents and looking online, it would probably be between 350 to 400, depending on what it sells for. Is about okay. what would, the equity that we would get. So, so one thing, this is a tax thing, right? Like you're only able to write up, like, like be exempt from what, a quarter million dollars of gains? So that's, that's what I thought too, because it's just me now, but my CPA said within 24 months of my spouse passing, I should be able to get the full half a million. So you're not, you're not maxing that out yet. Not you're almost not quite, but yeah, if I stay in this house for another couple of years, then I'll be above the half, the quarter million max for myself. Yeah. Cause then it's going to revert to, it's just me. It would just be the individual. Two yeah. I'm like, it kind of is a good tax me because you have yeah, it's something I wanted to do actually, even before this happened, I had already been yeah. talking about, Hey, we should, mean, downside, we should simplify. So it's, if the right house comes along that I can get, I think I'm going to do it. And that's yet another windfall and more cash that I can deploy. Yeah, because if you don't move before the year two, you lose that double tax exemption thing. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. For me, I mean, I don't want to push you either way unless I, before I heard that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you got to just move out. Move out and buy it back again if you feel that's what you want to do. I don't know if you can do that. It's not like a wash sale, but you know what I mean. No, I think it's a strong possibility. And even where we live, it's a it's more of a isolated subdivision and there's not as many kids around and there's plenty of neighborhoods where a lot of their friends from school are that would be cheaper and smaller and have a lot of the things we talked about. So yeah. Um it's definitely on my radar. And that would just accelerate what we talked about and give me more cash to put into these funds. Yeah. But maybe think about it and I think wait till the springtime or summer. That's when the market is supposed the hottest. The world doesn't end before then. Yeah. Uh, no, I got, yeah, I got my, um, like I'm looking now to potentially hop on something if somebody's putting something on in December or January, but my goal is to probably list my house in the spring because that's just, yeah. it looks the nicest. It's the hottest market. But if, you know, just doing some quick math here, if you dump out 400 grand, you put it into an even bigger infinite banking policy, or you just do an infinite banking right away at 5%, you know, that's 20 20 grand a year, a couple grand, a couple grand a month. You always want to do this equation and think, well, how does that two grand a month change my life? If you had to use it, that could be a lot of less home cooked meals and eating out, less, but more time, right? If you can use that $2,000 every month that is time or for time, that's 
money well or you know that's, that's a good move to create that cash flow and that's everlasting cash flow it's not just eating right. through your pile that's how i would look at it so you get to live in the condo get the free free maintenance on the pool but what are the downsides of that i don't know is there a downside in your head the only downside is less privacy like the, the lot i have it's great private lot it's gorgeous like you're by nature and it's very private and very nice but <clears throat> spend I, think, I, think, I think the positives of moving out way it though like just simplifying life getting a bunch of equity out and redeploying it yeah. getting my kids in a neighborhood with a bunch of their friends i think yeah. definitely outweighs the privacy concern that's why i asked like, some people when they talk to their spouse they're like well, what's the downside if they can't communicate because there isn't they just don't want to do it which is silly you've obviously been able to voice your concern which is privacy but so what if you took two thousand dollars a month and you bought the penthouse instead of the the right. other one, right? You, you rented the penthouse instead. I mean, Two thousand mm-hmm. dollars pumps you into a much higher, more exclusive community. So think about it like that. The term life, if you get that big of a policy, you don't have to pay this anymore. So that frees up some more mm-hmm. cash flow. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's redundant. Yeah, I think we covered a lot here. Anything else you wanna? No, I don't think so. This is very helpful. Thank you. Hopefully it was helpful to people listening. And then I will definitely check out that e-course on the infinite banking. Yeah, I think trying to think what is the first domino that's got to fall here. But, you know, you, the house, there are three things. Moving out of the house, I think you can delay that to the spring or summertime. So yeah. that's third on the list. The, you already have liquidity. So you could probably, and then you don't have to do the taking out of the retirement accounts quite yet. It's a rare situation, but infinite banking seems to be the first domino here, which yeah, if you're agree. listening on the podcast, that's typically not it. If, you, if you're screwing around infinite banking, stop doing and wasting your time, especially your net worth is under a million dollars. You haven't invested anything. Yeah, I, I agree though in this case. It makes sense because it gives me a little bit of time to deploy some of this extra capital and then I can get spun up on what syndications I want to invest in, educate myself. The house can come later in the year and then slowly peeling away some of that retirement stuff can start happening at any point in 2022 once i have a better idea of my adjusted gross income as well and then decide how much i'm going to pull yeah and i think once you get moving down the road once you deploy a million you should be making a fraction of your salary and then when you double that you should be able to start to see the light once you deploy about a million or two million you should start to see the light on when exactly you're going to quit cool yeah that, that dovetails nicely with where i'm at now Again, the place yeah. I'm at, it's, it's a lot of fun to work at. I enjoy it, but I, I reading the tea leaves, I think four to five, maybe six years at the most, I should yeah. be done doing what I'm doing and then be ready to. You write out the, the startup for five yep. years that, but you don't want to go back to practice. I don't want to do like more. the typical family practice, seeing 20 patients a day, every day. That's too much. I wouldn't want to do that. But it's something like that. It would be part-time or it would be like part-time remote. There's a lot of remote providers where you can work anywhere you want in the world and do telehealth and I could do that part-time and supplement with my passive income and, and still have a pretty pretty nice lifestyle yeah yeah I think you'll have enough at that point where you don't really need to to uh, make a hundred hundred fifty thousand a year part-time right type of thing yeah but I know you're, you'd be in coast mode going 70 miles an hour at that point but then we'll see in the next several years we'll see if you get bored or not yeah, that's the thing. Like, I, I do like healthcare. It's fun working in healthcare. The U.S. healthcare system is so broken. So if there's cool projects or companies to work on to try to fix stuff, like that interests me. But it would be nice to be at the position where I can decide which project or work I, I want to take on. And if there's nothing 
that's interesting or exciting or worth the work I can. Yeah. It, you're the current employer, the startup thing, is it pretty time intensive or is it? It's hit or miss. It depends. So it's actually like some days are less than others. It comes in fits and starts like a typical startup. So it's not a lot of patient care for me. I'm doing a lot more project work, data work and all sorts of things where sometimes a big project comes along and I'm spending a lot of time one week and then the next week it's relatively slow. If that makes uh, sense. If, with you being the primary caregiver, I would manage if you can't handle it and you need to step back you could yeah. if you stuff all this money into infinite banking and you get maybe a quarter million half a million into deals making 10 percent, probably have enough to s- definitely sustain your cost of living if things get too busy like yeah. you have the option to, to do that to- yeah right now it's not too bad and part of the good thing is most of the time i actually get to work from home which is nice. So even though, even if it's busy, I still have the time with the kids. And then a lot of the work I can do at night when the kids are asleep, just the nature of the startup and how I'm doing it. A lot of it's project work or things I can literally do at 10 o'clock at night while they're asleep. I can just sit there and get my stuff done. So it's actually not too much of a hassle. And we have a lot of family nearby that spending time with the kids and and watch them a lot and hang out with them. So far, it's, I think I'm in a good spot, at least for the next couple of years. Yeah. Are you, is the family decently well off or are you the, are the more wealthy folks? In- the rest of the family is pretty well off, at least the ones close by. So like my mother is about ready to retire. Like she does pretty well for herself and she's transitioning. She's going to probably transition to working part-time. She's close by. My wife's parents, um, not super well off, but they're fine. Like they're the ones actually in that long-term rental property we have and they're paying well below market rates. So that's one where basically it's cash flow negative. Like we bought the property. They're paying the HOA and the mortgage. It's cash flow neutral for us, but it's building up equity and it has them in a nice spot, basically under market. So that's like a win-win. What is and their long-term like? They're going to they're going to age in place. At least for now, yeah, they're they're healthy enough and, and doing well enough. I don't think there's any imminent plans for them to go to assisted okay. living like that. And then also, my brother-in-law lives close by as well, and he has his own like marketing company and, and does pretty well. So okay, not a live in mom's basement, steal her check. No, 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 yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, because some of the people they they're like obviously the most well in their family, so they have to also keep in mind the providing or in a way. No, thank, like, thankfully everybody else in the family is fine. Yeah, everybody's got their stuff together. So that's good. That's yeah. good. But yeah. 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 Any anything else, Derek, you got want to go over or no, I don't think so. I think that was yeah, very thorough and super helpful. Okay. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, folks, if you guys like this, or you guys want to volunteer this stuff, shoot the folks an email team at simplepassivecashflow.in. If you haven't yet joined the club, uh, book your free onboarding call before I start to outsource it out to the team. Won't go in, in as in-depth into this type of stuff, but we'll try and knock it out in 15 minutes or 20 minutes or so. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.